Heavenly Father, we are conscious that we live in a world of suffering and pain and anguish. And so we come before you and ask that you would preserve our lives according to your word. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would send your spirit now to quicken us, to help us to understand your word so that our lives are preserved even in the midst of the pain of this world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be studying the speech of Samuel as Israel transitions from having judges ruling over them to having a earthly king rule over them. And we've been studying this transition for a number of weeks as we've looked at the rise of Samuel and how he is the great prophet that is amongst the people, but then the people want to have this king. The people of Israel are living in the land of Israel at this stage. They've come out of Egypt uh, many years earlier under the leadership of Moses and then Joshua. They've conquered the land, and then they've had this period of judges who have been looking after them, and now they're transitioning to a king, and this king has proved uh, that the Lord is with him, and that's what we looked at last week in the attack that he made against Nahash and the Ammonites, and that he was victorious over the enemies of the Israelites. But now Samuel wants to remind the Israelites that they have done a wicked thing in asking for a king like the other nations. And so he wants to show them that he has been a good judge. Firstly, that's the first thing that we see in in 1 Samuel chapter 12. We see in verse 3 that he wants them to testify against him in the presence of the Lord. If he has taken anyone's ox, taken anyone's donkey, cheated anyone, he wants to show that he has been a good and faithful judge. But then he wants to show them that therefore they have sinned in rejecting the work of the Lord, particularly the the role of God as king and wanting a king like other nations. And we see that in verse 17. He says, And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. And as the people see how angry God is, and one of the ways that God displays the anger here is with thunder and rain at a time of year when thunder and rain were not so common, what do the people do? Well, they get quite concerned. In verse 19, the people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. And they obviously are very afraid because the next thing that Samuel says in verse 20 is, Do not be afraid. And so then the rest of the chapter there is is Samuel giving advice to the Israelites what they can now do as they realize the sin that they have committed in asking for an earthly king. And one of his pieces of advice that I want to focus on particularly for us today is in verse 21. In verse 21, he wants them, well, he starts in verse 20 with saying, do not be afraid, Samuel replied, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your hearts. He wants them to understand that they, in the face of God's anger, in the face of their sin, a consciousness of their sin, that they should not then turn away from God in fear. And particularly that they should not turn away to things that are useless, to other options that are useless. And that is given to us in verse 21. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. Samuel wants the Israelites to understand that they should not turn away after other options because all other options are useless. They are empty. 
the Hebrew word. I don't usually use much Hebrew or Greek in my sermons, but this one's a, a fun one, and it's one that you should be reasonably familiar with. It's tohu. They are useless. They are tohu, not tofu, tohu. You should remember it that way. It's tohu. These things are useless, and that word tohu usually represents uh, a wasteland, a desert, a deserted place of some sort. And he wants us to understand that If you turn away after anything else, it is tohu, it is useless, it is worth nothing to you. And what are the useless things that the Israelites might think of turning away to? Well, the NIV translation that is before you has inserted the word idols there. And that, of course, is a major temptation of the Israelites. The word idol isn't actually in verse 21, but it's the most common thing that the Israelites understand to be uh, an option for them and is regularly referenced, referenced as tohu in the Bible as well as something that is worthless. In Isaiah 41 verse 29, images are but wind and confusion is the NIV translation, but it's the word confusion. There is tohu once again. Isaiah says idols are worthless. And we know the Israelites at this time were tempted by idols. How do we know that? Well, it's actually in the text. If you look back at verse 10, where Samuel is recounting the behavior of the Israelites in the past, and it says, he says that they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Israel always had this problem, this perpetual problem of wanting to worship idols. And Samuel wants them to understand that these idols that they're tempted to worship instead of God, as they're facing an angry God and their guilt of their sin, that don't then turn away to worthless idols. Why is that? Why are idols useless? Well, verse 21 tells us, They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you. They can give you nothing positive, and they can't extract you from the negative. They can't do you any good, and they can't rescue you from difficult situations that you may be in. Because they are tohu, they are useless. They are useless to you. And Isaiah makes this point very clearly for us. I mentioned before that Isaiah does condemn images as tohu as well. But I think one of my favorite passages in Scripture to see the futility of worshipping idols craven images, graven images, to worship them is given to us in Isaiah chapter 44. Turn with me there now. I don't think I've ever read this passage with you, but it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, particularly when condemning of idols. It's page 720. Turn with me there now. Page 720, Isaiah 44, verse 9. And we'll read through to verse 20. We'll read these 10 or so verses together. Isaiah chapter 44 reading from verse 9. And look at the foolishness of worshipping an idol. Isaiah 44, verse 9. All who make idols are nothing, tohu, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol, which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. He's there showing that those who make idols are just men. And what can that profit? And then we go on. Verse 12. The blacksmith takes the tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. 
He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? See the stupidity of worshipping idols, particularly ones made of wood. And this man who is put there in the, uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah, who he... He does things with part of the wood that he has cut down. He may have even uh, planted a tree with a specific purpose of making an idol from it. And then he uses part of it to make his meal and to warm himself. And then that same block of wood, he takes another part and fashions a god and prays to it. The stupidity of idols is so clearly here in this text. They are man-made objects. And so why would we worship, why would we pray to something that man has made and that cannot hear and cannot see? So at a minimum here in in, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel is warning the Israelites, as you are concerned about an angry God and concerned about your sin, do not turn away to idols to save you from the God of Israel, from the Lord. Do not turn to them because it's absolute foolishness. They are useless. They profit you nothing. And they will not rescue you. But I think there's a broader application as well that's a little lost when the NIV then inserts the word idols there. The broader application is turning to anything other than God to save you in the face of your sin and God's anger. And particularly in the context of this passage, it has to be turning to human kings, to be turning to human strength to rescue us in the face of God's anger. And we have to recognize that Saul did save them from Nahash the Ammonites. But why was Saul able to save them? What happened last week that we studied? It was that the Spirit of the Lord came down upon Saul. And so he burned with anger and was empowered to be able to lead the Israelites. And the Israelites were afraid of God and turned out as one man. So even Saul, he is, he's not like the king of other nations. He is someone that is invested with the power of God, and that is why he can save. But if you just have Saul on his own, yes, you have a king like the kings of other nations, and they are tohu. They are worthless. They are useless to you. They cannot save you, and they profit you nothing. And so Samuel's message here 
is that apart from God, everything else is useless. Whether it be earthly human strength, whether it be idols, they are all useless. They are worthless to us. Minus God from anything, and we only have tohu, something that is worthless. And for the Israelites to turn anywhere else, it would be like turning to the desert for help. Remember that word tohu? It's often used of the wilderness. It's often used of the desert, of barren areas. That's what it's like. If you are facing God's wrath, where are you turning to for help if you do not turn to God himself, if you do not run to him? It's like turning to the desert for profit, turning to the desert for help. And what does the desert offer you? Sand, 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 and more sand. And it doesn't matter how much you dig around in that sand or how much you bring in machines that can work that sand, it's going to profit you nothing because it is a wilderness. There is something there, but it's going to profit you nothing. It is worthless. But how is God then different from everything else? How is God different? Well, God has a great track record of being useful and rescuing his people. And we see that even in this text. And Samuel reminds the Israelites to consider this. As they're considering the worthlessness of idols and all other options besides God, what does he say in verse 24? But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Consider the great things that God has done in comparison to the idols, in comparison to the kings of other nations and anywhere else you might turn. Consider what great things God has done. And if you, if you had forgotten, I've just told you recently, Samuel says, about the great things that God has done. He mentions in verse 7 that he's going to give them evidence before them of all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for them and their forefathers. And what are they? Well, in verse 8, he gives an example. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord, the Lord, sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your forefathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. There's an act by God. There's profit for you. There's rescuing. God is a God who rescues. God is a God who profits his people. And then if that's not enough, consider in verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them. And then what happened? They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord, not idols, the Lord sent Jerubal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies on every side so that you lived securely. Yes, he used these human judges, but it was the Lord who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. And so Samuel's message to the Israelites at this time as they're confronted by their evil, their sin of asking for a king, he is telling them to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Do not turn away to other options which are so tempting, but continue to serve the Lord. And that's in verse 24. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart as you consider what great things he has done for you. And we too should listen to this message from Samuel, particularly when faced with our sin. Why? Well, when someone's angry with you, what do you usually want to do? Do you want to run to the person and reconcile? Or do you want to run away and find safe haven somewhere else? 
If we have an angry parent, what do we do? If we're a child, we run to the other part of the house and maybe even go under the bed. We do not run to the parent and try and reconcile in the face of their anger. We try to get away quick, smart. If we have an angry boss at work, what do we do? Change jobs. That's the way to deal with the problem. Go get another job. If we have an angry neighbour next door, what do we do? Well, eventually, we move house. Get away from them. That's what we're tempted to do. Whenever someone is there and they are angry with us, and we, what do we want to do? We want to turn after something else that will save us. But if there's nowhere else to go, then we're forced to work it out with them and sort things out. And when it comes to an angry God... Samuel wants to tell us in verse 21 that there is nowhere else to go. Every other option available to you is useless, is worthless to you. But sadly, we see that is the way our hearts go. As we face with God's anger, we do not want to hear about verse 22, and we want to deal with the guilt of our sin in some other way. And it may be that we turn to the idols of the nations. There are many idols that are available to us to buy. Or you might want to make one yourself. But what good will a little statue of Buddha do you on Judgment Day? What good will it do you on Judgment Day? It will be shown to be worthless. Or we turn to the things of this world to satisfy our guilt which is another form of idolatry. We read in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. There are idols of the heart. We don't need a little Buddha or a little Krishna to bow down to. We're quite capable of worshipping other things, and it is idolatry. The things of this world we want to worship to satisfy us in our guilt and our shame. And Revelation 2, the, the, the letters to the churches, remind us as these things that distracted people as well. Yes, the idols were a problem for them as well, but idols of the heart were a problem for those churches as well, those early churches. Idols of the heart of greed and sexual immorality. People think that sexual fantasies and a big bank account will do them good and will save them from their guilt. But what happens to the porn collection and the big bank account on Judgment Day? Does it profit you? Will it rescue you from the hands of an angry God? Or we turn to human strength. That's what's going on in in 1 Samuel. There's that desire for human strength. This human king, he will rescue us from our problems. And that's what we see today as well. We don't necessarily turn to politicians, to human leaders, but we turn to our own strength, our own human strength. Strength of body. Some people want to immerse their guilt, their sin, their... Uh, their lack of worship towards God by focusing on their own strength. And they think that they can overcome all things if they just have a healthy body. I've just recently joined a gym. It's the first thing I've done in my life. It's a bit of a social bonding activity with my wife. We go to classes together. I'm quite enjoying it. But it's interesting. I got there and the, and the, the personal trainer says, okay, so Joel, what are your goals? And I said, oh, well, I was wanting to hang out with my wife, and I think this would be a good time to do it. And, uh, and he said, well, don't you want to live longer? I said, well, I don't want to live forever. Um, yeah, I'm okay to die. It's, it's all right. He said, but don't you want to be healthy and strong and so you can live longer? And, yeah, he just, I don't think he'd met someone who was quite content to pass away in the near future. 
Uh, so it was a bit of a con- conundrum for him. But this is the attitude of the world, isn't it? That they think that if I just exercise this body and I make it stronger and I eat properly, I've found out that a lot of it's to do with eating as well at gyms. Uh, they want to give you advice about what you can and can't, which is the problem. They can't eat. Uh, but this is the thing. If you eat properly and you exercise properly, then you're going to live and you're going to conquer your sin, the impending death that is coming. No. What happens to that fit and sculpted body on Judgment Day? It is swept away with all the other fit and sculpted bodies on Judgment Day. Or we turn to the strength of mind. We make our mind an idol. We think that I know best. I see this all too often. I meet with people and they say, well, I think God is like this. And I think that God is happy if I do this. And it's not what God thinks, it's what they think. And they think with their mind, they exalt themselves, and my human reason is enough to satisfy my guilt of sin and to satisfy the angry God. But on Judgment Day, will it matter what we think or will it matter what God thinks? On Judgment Day, it will matter what God thinks, not what we think. So why are these things idolatry? Our human bodies... The things of this world, the, the lust of the world, the possessions of the world, the bank accounts of the world, the idols of the world. Why are they idolatry? Well, they all are like those man-made idols. They are worthless. They can't rescue you. They can't profit you, as Samuel says in verse 21. And so Samuel's advice is still true for us today. In the face of our sin, we must always turn to God. There is no else to go. Think of yourself in a narrow passage and you're blocked in. There's nowhere else to run to. There's a wall behind you. There's walls either side and God's in front of you. There's nowhere else to go is what Samuel's saying. And so we must reconcile with him. We must go to him. And we can know that he does profit us and does rescue us in the face of our sin. How do we know that? Well, we consider the great things that God has done. That's what Samuel says to the Israelites in verse 24. Consider the great things that God has done. And we have even more than the Israelites had so many years ago to consider because we've got so much more of history and seeing God's action again and again, and particularly in the Lord Jesus Christ. We consider the great things God has done for us in Christ Jesus. What are the great things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus? Well, he's given us an eternal inheritance, eternal life by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his life of righteousness has been imputed to our account and so we have this wonderful inheritance a heavenly home with untold riches that is a work that the Lord has done that is profit which idols cannot bring idols cannot do you any good but Jesus does you good and what was the other thing that idols were unable to do they could not do you any good nor could they rescue you consider what God has done for us in Christ Jesus he has rescued us He's not just given us eternal inheritance, his righteousness. He's also taken us out of sin and slavery to sin. He has rescued us by his redeeming work at the cross where our sin was put upon his shoulders and he bore the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And so we can know that God profits us and that God has rescued us. And so this morning I want you to consider that you've only got two options when you realise you sin against God and deserve his wrath. You can turn to Tohu, 
Not tofu, tohu. Nothingness, uselessness, the idols of this world or even yourself. You can turn to that wilderness or you can turn to the lush and fruitful paradise of Jesus Christ. Are you going to join the rest of the world digging around and around in mounds of sand? Oh, yes, you may shift a lot of sand with your life. And you may feel like you're profiting, that it is doing you good to dig around in this world and to turn to things other than God. But when you put in and you put in and you put in and you put in, it will be shown that you get nothing back at all. All you will do is break your back and your soul for eternity. One day, that prime piece of real estate that you think is so profitable will be shown to be worthless real estate. It is a wilderness that you've been digging around in for the whole of your life. Or are you going to work in the good soil that's well watered with plenty of sunlight? Are you going to work with the Lord Jesus Christ's help? That's the wonderful thing about working with him, about working for him. He works with us. He's the one who does the heavy lifting as you dig around in this world. And even the things that you have to lift yourself, he's right there lifting with you. He's assisting you. And he rescues you when you have troubles in this world. He bandages your wounded hands and he lifts you out of the holes again and again. And he profits you. He rewards you even in this life with joy. And he will reward you in the eternal life to come with joy as well. So which is it? Are you going to trust in Christ now? And see what good Christ has done for you and be rescued from your sin? Or are you going to turn to the wilderness of this world and keep trusting in the idols that the culture loves to give us? Which is it? I encourage you to trust in Christ today. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never made right with God and you understand that you are a sinner and God is angry with you, don't run away. Come to God. And ask for forgiveness through Jesus Christ and accept the good he will do you and the rescuing he will do for you. And even as Christians in this room, we have to realise that we turn to idols all too easily. Idols particularly of the heart in our culture. And if you think you don't struggle with idolatry, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. Why? Well, the pull of the world is incessant to chase after the idols of this world. And it's actually stronger, I believe, if you watch an awful lot of television. If you watch television in copious amounts, the temptation to worship idols is so much stronger. From the adverts they display and the subtle adverts that are in all their movies and their uh, TV shows and the immorality that is portrayed there, it is a temptation again and again to follow after idols instead of following after God. And then the desire of our own body and flesh is very strong and the lies of Satan are very alluring to follow the idols that are proposed to us. And so I need to ask you, even Christians here this morning, what wilderness, what tohu have you been digging around in this last week? What have you been searching for joy in? What idols 
of the culture that we live in have you been looking for joy, particularly when you go through some sort of pain or suffering or confronted about your sin? How do you try to deaden that voice? What idols are you seeking out? Do you realise that anything apart from God is useless? Is useless. And any joy you get from the idols of this world, it won't last. It is short-term with long-term pain. Whereas Christ may have some short-term pain, but it's always long-term gain, long-term profit. Listen to Samuel. Follow what he says in verse 24. What does he say in verse 24? But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who is not like the gods of the nations, the idols that cannot act, the idols that cannot see, that cannot speak. But you are a God who does good. You are a God who rescues, unlike those idols of the world. Lord, we ask as we come before you this morning that you would forgive us for looking for joy in anything apart from you, for looking for profit in anything apart from you, for looking for rescue from anything apart from you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to continue to serve you faithfully with all our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would consider the foolishness of idols, but also consider what great things you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.